0: Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be among your people this day and to gather and to hear your word, which reminds us that we have great hope, no matter our circumstances, because this hope has been fulfilled. We pray now, Lord, that you would think our thoughts, that my words would be yours, and that you would bend our wills to your own, and you would take each and every one of our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. And for your son Jesus Christ, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Well, as many of you know, we're in this series entitled Living in Strange Times, and we thought that you know, if we're gonna live in kind of times that just seems kind of weird than we're used to, first Peter is a good place to go because it's a book all about discipleship, what it means to be a Christian. Here in the 21st century, just like it was in the first century. So, we've seen in the first chapter that basically the melodic line is that we have a hope that's alive. Because Jesus is resurrected, it's a living hope. And because of that, we're born again into this hope. And being born again is not a particular kind of Christian, it's all Christians. It's not, you know, if you have a pregnant lady, are you kind of pregnant? Not quite, you know? Same thing with a Christian. We're all born again in Christ. And so, therefore, we have a living hope that's got an inheritance that it's unperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, Peter says to the early church. And yet, even we have that great hope in our living hope. Life is hard because we live in this strange world. And we saw that last week that even in the midst of our trials, we have great hope in Christ but Peter doesn't stop there. And what we see is that this hope has a grounding today. And that grounding is in the Word of God. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 as we look through this. Because what we're going to see is great hope and encouragement through the revealed Word of God. So first we discover we have hope that's revealed in the entire Bible. We have hope from the preaching of the Word of God. And three we have hope from the angelic host. So let's look at this. Hope revealed from the entire Bible. In other words, the prophets, verses 10 and 11. Beginning with verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the suffering glories. Peter now, in chapter 1, introduces the Hebrew prophets of the past. He writes of the prophets who prophesied. The prophets were some of Israel's wonderful ancient office holders, if you will. Beginning with Moses, we saw the institution of the prophet's office in Deuteronomy 18. At that point... The writer is recounting the period when God's people reached Mount Sinai after the Exodus. Initially, God spoke to them, all, the hearing of all the people, but the people were afraid of God's voice, so they asked, this is too much, can you just speak through one person, Lord? So he condescended to the request and chose Moses to be the first of the prophetic office. All of Israel's prophets from Moses onward stood in the presence of God in order to receive the word of God and then to pass it along to God's people. And what Peter is telling his readers here in the verse before us is that the prophet's best days were spent looking for the prophecy's fulfillment. They were men who studied long and hard. They poured over the word of God as it was being given to them. And what were they looking for in particular? Verse 11. They were searching carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. In other words, Peter is telling us that the prophets were given a particular insight into salvation's mystery that Christ would be a suffering Christ and that only after suffering would he be given subsequent glories. And to a first century Jew hearing that, that's unacceptable because we're the nation of David. We want david to come and return and reign and be a reigning messiah they had no time for a messiah given over to suffering yet the churches that peter is writing to may i remind you that they were saved by such a suffering christ and that's good news to them for the discouraged believer in pontius galatia cappadocia asia and bithynia this reminder would have been incredibly encouraging. The life that they were living, filled, as it were, with trials and difficulties, mirrored the life of Jesus in whom they had placed their trust. The encouragement Peter had already given them would only continue to grow as we read verse 12, which says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. These words did more for that first century church than you can possibly imagine. Upon hearing them for the first time, I can imagine someone in the church, you would have said, wait, 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 read that again? What did you say? This is Isaiah, Ezekiel you're talking about, Daniel, right? Are you saying that they were serving not their own generation, but us? Does this imply that they were aware that God had put them to work on our behalf? (laughs) As the reader for that day would have recited over again, the hearts would have collectively soared to hear that, that God was thinking of them through the prophets any earlier signs that they had of self-pity were left behind any thoughts that God didn't care about their trials that they're currently enduring gone any thoughts that they had never been part of anything great were now silenced they were part of something great it's called the church Peter is showing them that the prophets were the true outsiders not the Christians. The prophets of the past were the ones kept from seeing salvation's fullness. The prophets had been relegated to serving God by serving a distant generation rather than their own. In fact, for the most part, the prophets outdid them all in enduring rejection. Furthermore, every early reader of Peter also would have recognized that the prophets had a far rougher go of it than they did. Anyone who's ever read the Old Testament realizes quickly, our 915 group is really realizing it, that the Old Testament prophets knew that a careful inquiry and searching out of the sufferings of Christ is a brutal and exhausting work. We get a glimpse of it and what we heard Jerry read from Daniel this morning of the sufferings of any of the prophets. Daniel writes in verse 15... My spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. He continues in chapter 8, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. Going on to chapter 10, in verse 15 through 17, he says, When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me you want to be a prophet such is the reward of a prophet my friends we think we face rejection nothing like daniel nothing they served another time they couldn't understand salvation as clearly as they desired And they were often physically impaired by the prophetic work which God had called them to do. Peter's first readers would have been deeply humbled by this. This this fresh consideration of salvation's past glories. The extent that God went in securing their salvation was born at a great cost. Not only to himself, not only to his son Jesus... It cost the prophets well. In other words, the cheap grace of Western Christianity is not Christianity at all. And that should humble us too. Because we know nothing of that kind of suffering that Daniel's enduring. We know nothing of the suffering that our Lord endured. C.S. Lewis captures this well in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I, I know many of you heard yesterday uh, the, the sad news that our brother Bob Finley went home to be with the Lord yesterday morning. We, we, we don't know when the funeral is going to be, the details will be forthcoming, but uh, about 14 years ago I said, if you want to see the person and work of Christ, lee, read the Chronicles of Narnia, the wonderful great themes set in children's literature, which are really for adults, too. In The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, you see it so wonderfully clear. The great Christ figure Aslan knows the only way to save Narnia and get Edmund out of the, the white witch's, witch's grips is to sacrifice himself because he knows the deep magic of Narnia. And so he comes to be slain. And the white witch puts him up on the stone table. Her minions shave his mane as a sign of the shame. He's naked before the world. They tie him up brutally. And she says to him these words. He says, you think, Aslan, that by sacrificing yourself, you're going to save the humans? Oh, no. After I kill you, I'm going to kill them with my armies. And in that knowledge, Aslan, despair and die. And he plunges the knife deep within his heart and he dies. And if you want to know the rest, you have to read it. (laughs) I told you to read. We don't know that type of suffering. But that's just a hint of the suffering of our Lord for us. And a hint of the prophet's suffering. And they kept on informing the people, and they wouldn't listen, except a few. A few did. And that what enabled them to keep going? Well, verse 11 tells us it was the Spirit of Christ in them, the Holy Spirit. This is an incredibly helpful and comforting phrase. In Greek mythology, Aeolus was the wind god. He lived on a floating island with six sons and six daughters. A- it, Homer writes of Aeolus in the Odyssey when he says, the wind god summoned the breezes to help Odysseus on his way. From this myth, we have a musical instrument called the Aeolian harp. It's a taut stringed harp that the wind blows through and makes beautiful music it's a beautiful sound something very much like this must have been a work in the prophets it was the holy spirit of christ in them who kept them going even when no one was listening to them christ himself is depicted as wind blowing gently through the prophet's as they told them about the coming of Christ. It was the Holy Spirit of Jesus who enabled the prophets to pour over their own visions, their own sermons. It was Jesus and them who kept them from reading the scrolls of other prophets who had gone before them. So in one sense, you could say, right here in the first chapter of Peter, Peter has moved us from Isaiah 40, the dry grass withers and the flowers fade to remind us that the word of God and the Spirit's breath brings life to them all. That's hopeful. That's encouraging. I want you to imagine, brothers and sisters, that the prophets were put on this earth to work by God for you through the word of God. The Bible. Secondly, We have hope through the preached word of God. Verse 12, he doesn't stop there. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So do you catch how Peter builds upon the prophets here? Uh, He introduces for the first time those who who preached the good news of Jesus to his early readers, and he wants them to know that God sent more Holy Spirit-filled prophets to them, who preached the good news of Jesus to them. Never again would these churches wander into, often into dejection without having the word of God in their midst to shore them up during their difficult days. God had sent prophets to them, God sent preachers, and he continues to send preachers to this very day. Paul says, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. I had the privilege of being with Dr. Stephen Lawson on Monday morning at Providence Church. Uh, My friend Austin Shaw at Providence invited me in about 20 other pastors to come and sit under Dr. Lawson, who teaches guys like me to get it right. I'm still working on it. And so I, I hang out with guys that I can learn from, and it was great to hear him say, someone asked him, Dr. Lawson, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? He says, teaching is information. It's important. We need to, God's people need to have it. Preaching is information times life transformation. We're called to renew our minds, to transform our minds. And so that's what preaching does, and that's what the preached word of God does. And so when John Stott in 1950 was hired as the rector of All Souls, All Souls was kind of a snooty, downtown. Coat and tie, London church. Because you guys remember the 50s, some of you do, you know. Everybody went to church. But more than half the people didn't come there out of conviction. And saw that. So he chucked the lectionary. Boom. We're gonna preach through whole books of the Bible. And we're going to feed God's people the word of God. And over time, didn't happen overnight. Revival and renewal broke out at All Souls to the point that even today if you go there, it's just an incredible, wonderful place at All Souls that Charlie Scrin is the rector. He's a young guy. And <laughs> there's six other guys on the staff. There's just this constant going through. And this morning they preached through Luke chapter 7 just a beautiful thing to see that the Word of God continues to preserve his people, taking care of them, feeding them. And Peter is proving God's love for them in the preaching of God's Word. So number one, Peter throws a hopeful word to his readers about salvation's past. He preaches a hopeful word about preaching today for them and for you. And that message has the angelic host standing at attention like they're in basic training in the army. Verse 12. Through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. How encouraging in our day. Prophets labored their entire lives to present the true gospel to us. Preachers travel around the globe to ensure that it gains a hearing before us. And angels would like nothing more than to gaze into what God has done for us. It's like Peter saying, surprise, this is how much God loves you, Church. I can almost hear the shouts of joy emanating from Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This is amazing love. Ancient prophets, itinerant preachers, exalted angels have for ages stood in service to this salvation that's come to you and me. The fullness of your salvation has been the joyful business of God's servants throughout the centuries. It is an ancient future faith. Do you, knowing this, I hope, have a surge of spiritual fortitude now? Do you you sense it? That you can remain faithful wherever God has you? No matter what you're enduring right now, hearts were made to rise in worship. And so looking ahead in our days ahead of us, our minds are to be made ready to join the Lord at the work that he's doing all around us. So let's apply this. Because this really is about the word of God and the power of it in our lives. So let us learn how to read the whole Bible through the gospel so you can actually see the gospel is enshrined in all of it in a thousand different ways kind of like a glorious kaleidoscope you know it just turn you turn it and it just gives you a different vision every single time you go back to Genesis 1 it's beautiful there's a never ending different number of ways in which the good news of Jesus is laid out there for us you get the richness of it And you get it over and over again. It permeates you. It saturates you. And it changes the way you do everything. Because it's good news. And that only happens if you read it. Both Old and New Testaments. Starting with little chunks at a time. Then getting a little more. Spending some time in prayer. May I commend to you just one chapter a day. You know... Just a little bit at a time. And what you'll see is God speaking to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ throughout it. And that takes time to learn how to do. Walk with us. Like on the road to Emmaus, Jesus, after his resurrection, meets these two downcast disciples. Of course, they don't even recognize him, and he says, what's the problem? They say to him, You know, we thought Jesus Christ would redeem Israel, but they killed him. It's over. We're done. We thought he was going to be the king. Instead, he died on a cross. So Jesus looked at them and said these words in Luke, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what is said in all of Scripture concerning himself. What Jesus said was, if you don't understand what's going on in life, you don't understand what's going on in your life, it's because you haven't learned to see everything through the sufferings and glory of the Messiah Jesus. Let's read it. Mark it. Learn it. Inwardly digest it. He proves that every part of Scripture is about His sufferings and glory. Have you learned to read the Scripture that way? That's what we do. That's what our little churches are doing. And I know there's some people out here, there, you know, that are influencing us, saying Scripture's not coherent. But I, I challenge you. I dare you. Read it. Start reading the Bible carefully, systematically, comprehensively, and you're going to discover it's all about Jesus. If you begin to read the Bible like that, and I'm sorry, you'll never gaze into the good news of Jesus if all you do is read John 3.16 every morning. No, you'll never get obsessed and have your life changed by the gospel unless you start looking into the words of the apostles and the prophets. Read all of it. One chapter at a time. Do you understand the bottomlessness of the good news of Jesus Christ? Oh, he can make your joys to weep and your griefs to sing. And you'll begin to see why your own sufferings are there. And you won't be confused like these Emmaus Road disciples. Who said, we thought he was going to deem us. But he died on the cross. Peter is basically saying, don't be like them. Jesus gives us hope in the good news amidst our suffering, amidst our trials. We have hope fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's like the little boy at the Little League game. He's in the batter's box, and he's swinging his back and batting. His team is getting up in the bottom of the first inning. And some old codger walks over to the gate and goes, hey, son, what's the score? Kid looks back at him and says, 18 to nothing, we're down. (laughs) And the guy goes, well, that's discouraging. He goes, discouraging? We haven't been up yet. (laughs) That's hope, right? No, my friends, no matter how down we are, we have hope in Jesus Christ. It's living hope in the resurrection. You've been born again. Take it and gaze with me into the good news of Jesus Christ in his word. You don't drift into maturity, brothers and sisters. You have to intentionally take a step into it and it starts with getting into the word for yourself. Starting John. We'll be talking a lot about this as we go into the fall because we have immense hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's walk in that immense hope together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, and we pray that you would help us to be disciplined, to, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest your word, the scripture, to be confident in its sufficiency, to trust it, And to be obedient by the power of your Holy Spirit, to come into it, read it, and through the sufferings of Jesus, and to give glory to your Son. Lord, we ask you that you'd help us to look into it that way, just the way angels do, until we become as full of Jesus as they are. And we ask all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.